Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Progressive News Network. I'm Janine Moloff, your host and producer this week. Well, we have a topic here this week that even though it's taking place in my home state of Missouri, it will actually affect Floridians as well because this deals with fossil fuel and it deals with the way corporate rule has controlled everything and how corporations are allowed to just price gouge and basically do what they will, including putting people's lives in jeopardy. So this starts with Spire. Now, Spire is the largest natural gas supplier in the United States. And the national headquarters are here in St. Louis. Now, we have a problem right now with Spire that other states, including Florida, are going to face. Now, our problem is heading into our winter months, so we need to make sure the gas keeps flowing to keep our homes warm, <coughs> excuse me, so people don't freeze to death, literally. It's here in Missouri, we can get subarctic temperatures. So, so what does that have to do with Florida? Well, if your natural gas supplier were threatening whether or not you would be able to have a continuous flow of gas, say going into your hottest months in Florida, like July, where the heat could kill, it's the same situation. So Spire is using this scare tactic. So here's what happens. Spire executives in St. Louis, <coughs> excuse me for the coughing here, they sent an email to customers this past Thursday and Friday, November 4th and 5th. And in the email, they were warning of possible gas outages and shortages heading into our dangerous winter months. Now, Missouri could face these outages as soon as December 13th. And to make matters worse, it looks like Spire doesn't have any contingency plans at all. The only thing they have is a 10-day emergency supply, which if the outage started say on December 13th, would end just before Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. <coughs> Sorry, folks. As, as I said before, Missouri winters can really go into subarctic conditions. We often go down into single digits or even below zero. And so without, and most of the homes here do use natural gas. Without the ability to heat your home, yes, people will die. So Spire, though, didn't seem to care enough to have a plan B. Now, let me back up a little bit. Spire is claiming that their St. Louis pipeline, that they call the STL pipeline, um, is the problem. And that if they don't get full approval for that, then there's going to be massive outages heading into winter um, and so on and so forth. So Spire's bottom line is either they get their they get to use their brand new pipeline, or they're not going to supply heating gas. That's what it looks like. They're couching it in this "we want to be transparent" nonsense, saying, "Well, there could be outages. We want to help you. There's nothing we can do about it." It's all a lie and a scam. So let's go into the story. So first, I'm going to read the notorious Spire email, and it really stunned me when I saw this in my email just this week. <clears throat> I do apologize for the coughing. Having a bad asthma season already. 
Dear valued customer, that's a joke. Um, it's our privilege to provide you with affordable and reliable natural gas every day. <clears throat> In fact, the STL pipeline was built to support your energy needs along with those of more than 650,000 homes and businesses in the St. Louis region. Since 2019, this safe, fully operational pipeline has been bringing even more reliable and affordable natural gas to our community. Unfortunately, while the STL pipeline continues to operate today, it is now in jeopardy. This is the kicker right here. <coughs> As a result, we want to keep you informed and prepared for potential natural gas disruptions and outages this winter if the pipeline is not kept in service. Here's some background. You may have heard about the pipeline in the news. In short, the government agency that regulates interstate pipelines approved the construction and operation of the Spire STL pipeline after a two-year rigorous regulatory review. What you're going to find is that the review was neither rigorous and they didn't follow their own regulations, and we'll get into that. To go on with the email. However, in January 2020, a New York-based environmentalist group challenged the government's agency approval process, and in June 2021, the court ruled in the group's favor. This ruling essentially took back the pipeline's approval to operate. Now, notice, notice the buzzword they used, the buzz phrase, New York-based environmental group. In bigot code, that translation is those city slickers in New York interfering with our, our stuff. And that's the way conservatives will read it. Going on with the, with the email from Spire. Where things stand today, the STL pipeline is fully operational today with temporary federal approval to operate through December 13th, but that only takes us halfway through Missouri's coldest month. Actually, our, month, our cold months go well into April. Spire has been working to keep the pipeline in service this winter as government regulators consider its long-term use. In fact, this week our CEO and chief legal counsel traveled to Washington, D.C. to talk with as many lawmakers as possible to help them understand the potential impact to the St. Louis community. Oh, isn't that nice of them? I'm being sarcastic. We're confident that we've done everything we can to demonstrate the critical role the pipeline plays in providing the St. Louis community with energy but there are no guarantees that will operate beyond December 13th. And that last phrase is all in bold print. What we're doing to prepare. While we're hopeful the government will extend the approval for the pipeline to operate for the full winter heating season, we want to be prepared. We've created an emergency plan to reduce the potential impact for residential customers and businesses that provide critical services. Now look at that sentence. They're claiming they have an emergency plan, but they haven't shared with the community what that is. That's why I say if you have an emergency plan, you share it. Otherwise, that means you don't have one. And it's to reduce the potential impact for residential customers and businesses that provide crit critical services. Translation, what that sounds like to me is that big business like Anheuser-Busch will be able to keep the gas rolling, but a lot of homes will have their gas turned off. That is a very vague statement, and it, again, if Spire has a plan, then I challenge their CEO, Suzanne Sitherwood, to produce it now. 
and in detail, no vague assurances. Let's go on with the email. Our goal is always is to keep you safe and warm. As the most reliable energy source to heat homes, cook meals, and fuel industry, natural gas outages are extremely rare. However, St. Louis winter without the STL pipelining service is a different situation. Ha! I have news for them. This spring, I'm going to save every penny I have, and I'm going to get an electric heat pump because it's obvious that they're going to keep playing these games. Let's keep going with the email. So along the way, we'll keep you informed, help you prepare for potential outages or service disruptions, and advocate for the continued operation of the pipeline because we know it's the right thing to do for our customers and their community. What you can do. Without the STL pipeline in place, you may be asked to conserve energy by turning down the thermostat in your home or business and reducing use of your natural gas appliances, fireplace, oven, or any other, or another appliance. <coughs> Excuse me. While we understand this is an ideal during the winter months, we also know it will help us maintain service to the St. Louis community. Okay? And if they stay safe, thank you. And it's from Scott Carter, who's the president of Spire, Missouri. Again, for our listeners in Florida, this affects you too, because your natural gas supplier could pull the same stunt as you go into your hottest months, say like in July. Imagine life without any air conditioning at all. Any. Okay? So let's move on here. This is what they're basically blackmailing us with. You know, once again, if fire, according to Mr. Carter, if they have an emergency plan, where is it? Once again, the CEO of Spire is a woman named Suzanne Sitherwood. In fact, she lives in a private street in the Central West End, 46 West, 46 West Moreland Place, and it's a similar type uh, palace that, um, you know, the two gun-toting lawyers this past summer that were, you know, did with, um, they live in the same area, the gun-toting lawyers that basically pointed their guns at Black Lives Matter protesters in the West End. So this is what they're actually threatening us with. So then, Spire. And one of the things I did was I wanted to speak to whoever was in charge of public relations. And in the local newspaper here, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, as well as um, KMOV, which is the local TV station, they listed a man named Jason Merrill as the spokesman. Now, I called Spire Media, and that was Friday the 5th, and the public communication manager answered. And it took a while to find out that's who she was. And she gave me the email address for the public communication director, which is Jason Merrill. So I sent Mr. Merrill some questions. Okay. So, and, and I admit, I was not fair and balanced because I have a definite bias. I, I won't, that's fine. So here are the questions that I sent. I, always, I also pointed out that um, I have multiple questions regarding the possible gas outages, which were revealed yesterday in an email to Spire customers in St. Louis, in St. Louis, St. Charles, and elsewhere, in other words, throughout Missouri. I've begun an in-depth investigation into Spire's commercial practices 
including any majority stockholders, as well as buyers' interest in tar sands transport, which they are interested in. I am casting a very wide net, and I suspect the story is far more intricate than previously reported, and it is. And for anyone listening, if you're interested, I am working on an expose that will run in BuzzFlash, and that's where you can find my, my, my articles now. So moving on. <coughs> Sorry about this, guys. <coughs> so, um, and just to let you know, Fire's largest stockholder, besides the public, is a venture capital firm. So if you think this is all about just supplying gas to our home, you're, you're deluding yourself. <coughs> so I go on with this to Mr. Merrill. Most importantly, Spire has a responsibility to provide heating gas during the winter. To fail in this mission will lead to thousands of premature deaths. Spire has failed to provide any alternative heating fuel delivery system in the event this STL, the St. Louis pipeline, was halted. There is no excuse for this premeditated malfeasance. Again, if what Mr. Carter and all are saying, they have an, uh, an emergency plan, where is it? I go on with my email to Mr. Merrill, which, by the way, he has not responded. For decades, Liquid Gas was able to deliver heating fuel when the state was more heavily populated. Yet Spire has no plan for alternative delivery. Sending an email weeks before the gas is set to run out is criminally malfeasant. I have some questions right off the bat. Number one, what was Spire's plan for alter what was Spire's alternative plan for heating fuel delivery should the STL pipeline halt transport? Was there a plan? Who crafted this plan? And why wasn't the public alerted months ago? Two, should Inspire forfeit and refund all taxpayer subsidies it has received as a fossil fuel provider? Now, this is an important one. A lot of, we've talked about it on my other show, Environmental Justice Report. Every fossil fuel provider receives taxpayer subsidies, and they have for 90 years. So their prices are kept artificially lower, and then they brag about how uh, they're cheaper to use than, say, renewable. That's not true. And if they can't deliver, they should be forced to refund every penny of taxpayer subsidies. Furthermore, should Inspire be forced to provide electric heat pumps to every household that suffers due to their malfeasant behavior? Number three, how much of this pipeline deal is being funded by venture capitalists who also happen to be Spire majority stockholders? And the venture capital firm I'm talking about is BlackRock, by the way. Number four, Spire failed to alert the public to the situation months ago. Instead, they waited to the last minute. How is this not premeditated fraud or even extortion? Now, in all fairness, I looked into this and I found that Spire did leak some stuff to the local media saying we have to have this, this pipeline or there could be shortages. But again, no mention of a plan. They've never presented a plan for alternative delivery. Keep in mind, this STL pipeline is not the only pipeline that brings natural gas into St. Louis. There are multiple ones. And you'll find out later in the report, this isn't really about this. This is about Spire's billing practices. I have more questions, but this should suffice for now. I have also contacted my U.S. Congresswoman, Cori Bush. Environmental Defense Fund is not to blame for the situation. Spire had a responsibility as a semi-regulated monopoly to provide an alternative service plan 
should the STL pipeline deal fail in court. The lack of such a plan indicates premeditation. Okay. I will be conducting this investigation as an ongoing expose. If you decide to ignore this communication, that choice will be reflected in my report. Again, thousands, <coughs> excuse me, thousands could die because of fire's neglect. Someone should face not only civil suits, but also criminal charges. I will most likely publish the first chapter of the expose before Thanksgiving. So let's move on. And in case anyone's listening, the CEO of Spire is a woman named Suzanne Sitherwood. She lives at 46 Westmoreland Place, 63108 zip code. I think that she deserves visitors. Do what you want to, do if you don't, but you know what? I'm doxing her. Okay, so KMOV is a local TV station, and they did a story, a couple stories, and this one was by Gabriela Vidal. The headline is confusion sets in for customers as fire announces possible gas disruptions. And, you know, it's the same thing. And, you know, this goes back to the idea that back in 2019, Spire completed and opened this 65-mile-long pipeline running from North St. Louis to Scott County, Illinois. Now, that is hardly definitive to piping in gas from all over the country into St. Louis. Now, is it? It's just 65 miles, people. And they, they Spire received approval uh, for the pipeline back in 2019 from FERC, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And they issued the certificate for Spire to operate the STL pipeline. Now, we have several pipelines, okay? This is not the only one. So they did get a couple professors to weigh in. So Michael Vesession is a geophysics professor at Washington University. And Professor Vesession had the following to say, quote, the contract built in the assumption that the service of this pipeline would be needed every hour of the day for the next 20 years. This is a fairly large assumption, especially given that there is a neighboring unaffiliated pipeline that could be used. And we're also actively seeing a shift toward renewable energy sources with the massive wind power resources that are coming online in western Missouri. Now, that part about the surf, the pipeline would be neat, that basically that, that the pipeline would be running and needed every hour of every day for 20 years. That's not true. But they want to keep that point going because if it's needed every minute for 20 years, Inspire can bill for every minute. You'll probably see it in your bills. I remember last season I was trying to conserve, so I shut my furnace down. And if it was not a really cold day, just a little damp, I would turn my furnace off and just run electric heaters. My bill actually, my gas bill went up. So I called, I said, excuse me, I can prove that I turned my furnace off on those days. They said, oh, it doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? So if I, turn my, if I turn it off or if I even turn my heat down, I'm still going to be billed like if I were running it at 80 degrees? And they said, well, yes. And I said, why is that? And Spire told me it's because my gas service is turned on. That's not a legitimate business plan, folks. That's like saying you're going into a restaurant and you're just looking around, and they charge you for a five-course meal, 
You hadn't had anything to eat, but they say, yeah, but you walked in the door. That's essentially what Spire wants to do. So that having the pipeline working every minute of the day for 20, for 20 years, that's all about Spire being able to just gouge and get more money. There's no legitimacy to it. Um, let me go on here. So it is true the Environmental Defense Fund did take Spire to court. Okay. Now, a lot of people think, well, what do these New York City slickers have coming in here and interfering with, you know, our right to have our, our homes heated here? That's not what happened. The EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund, just wanted Spire and FERC to play by the law. That's it. And to have an actual evaluation process as legally mandated, but they didn't. So what happened was the Court of Appeals voted to shut the pipeline down this past June, June 21. <clears throat> and that was because of the lawsuit by the Environmental Defense Fund. But the lawsuit wasn't against Spire, I stand corrected. The lawsuit was against FERC, was against the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. But it affected Spire. And the Environmental Defense Fund claimed that FERC didn't go through the proper procedures that are required by law to evaluate even if there was a need for a new pipeline or that that would lead to cost saving for the consumer. And actually, there was a lot more to it than just what KMOV here has explained. But Professor Recession said there needs to be a demonstrated market need for them that outweighs their environmental health impacts. <clears throat> which, again, perfectly reasonable. But Spire has issued this email as a scare tactic to terrify everybody because we know how brutal winters can be here. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so Spire objected. They appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court refused to hear it. They refused uh, Spire's request to keep the STL pipeline operating through the winter months, but the pipeline has a temporary certificate issued by FERC. The problem isn't the Environmental Defense Fund. The problem is FERC and Spire. So St. Louis County spokesperson, uh, again, I love these unnamed spokespeople. Okay, actually I don't. They, they should stand by their statement. Issued a statement, quote, we've expressed our concerns to FERC, and are hopeful the commission will do the right thing. We've been working with regional partners to prepare, excuse me, to prepare for what could happen and mitigate risk. Our emergency management team is preparing and is in discussions with Spire about the impact an interruption of service could have on St. Louis County residents. We want assurances that residents will be safe this winter. Now, Spire spokesperson, in other words, for communications director Jason Merrill, um, said the following, quote, we feel this will get extended through the winter and people will have the natural gas they need, but the situation we're in right now is that there are no guarantees on that and we're only a few weeks away from December 13th and yada, yada, yada. You get the drift here. Now, there's another professor, an associate professor of corporate social responsibility at Webster University named Dustin Smith that was quoted by KMOV. And Professor Smith sees this email as just company using a scare tactic to generate buzz. And to quote Professor Smith, 
quote, kind of strikes me as a little bit of fear-mongering. I mean, what better way to influence your environment than getting people riled up? It's a tactic that corporations can use, and in a lot of ways it can be pretty effective. And so that's kind of what I see here. They want to get people emailing their congressmen and women and put pressure on the government, kind of through a different channel than what they already have already. And Mr. Merrill argues, no, we want the public to know we're doing everything we can to resolve this, but we want to be transparent and let them know that this possibly does exist. You know what, to Mr. Merrill and to the Spire execs, I say, you know what, what comes out of my dog's asshole is cleaner and smells better than what they're offering up. Let's move on. <coughs> Again, the more I talk, the more I cough, so sorry, folks. It's... Okay, so instead of just believing Spire and instead of just, you know, believing what the local media had to say, which was rather limited, I went to the source. If the Environmental Defense Fund were the ones that brought lawsuit, let's find out who it is. Because Spire, they didn't say it, but they implied that it was this, this environmental group from New York that caused all the trouble. That's not quite true. So from the Environmental Defense Fund actual website, Took me, and for the reporters at KMOV and the Post-Dispatch, it took me less than two minutes to look this up. Seriously. So right here, there is an article published on their website, Environmental Defense Fund, October 11th by Natalie Karras. The headline is FERC, in other words, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, not the Supreme Court, is the right place to fix the fire pipeline mess. So it's true. EDF did take, did go to court. They didn't take Spire to court. They took FERC to court. But if FERC is found to be wrong, then that affects Spire. So the D.C. court vacated Spire St. Louis's unlawful certificate to operate a 66-mile natural gas pipeline running between Illinois and Missouri this past June. Okay. Keep in mind, contrary to what Spire is implying, this is not the only gas pipeline. In fact, it's rather silly to think that a 65-mile pipeline between two states is going to supply everything we need. It's one of several pipelines. Last week, Spire asked the Supreme Court to stay the vacated decision. And what EDF is saying, if the Supreme Court had intervened, um, the spy, then, the, then the federal agency, it would have complicated things more, okay? So the Supreme Court said, no, we're not interested. So now it's handed back to FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Now, like most things that Trump touched during his administration, he still has, there are still some FERC commissioners from the Trump, holdouts from the Trump administration. And let's face it. Donald Trump was not good about following any rules, any law, any regulations. So it should come no surprise to anyone that FERC basically just did with a wink and a nod and didn't do, didn't fail to do their due diligence. Failed to do their due, due diligence. <coughs> okay. Don't grab a lozenge here, people. So, according to the EDF. FERC needs to proceed 
and follow the law as properly administered by the commission to address a set of complex facts that warrant the fact-finding review of an expert agency. Okay? FERC's initial orders authorized the pipeline, but the EDF is saying that that authorization was deficient. And they say FERC has the capability and tools to conduct what's called a fulsome analysis. And now FERC has the opportunity to course correct. EDF filed suit at the D.C. court last year. They had some really serious concerns. The Spire pipeline, the Spire STL pipeline certificate was granted, quote, without the legally required justification that the pipeline was needed and beneficial to the public. That's it, folks. This is the law. So it doesn't matter if you don't like environmental groups or not. This is the federal law. And Ms. Sitherwood, the CEO of Spire, knows damn well better than this. So since the D.C. court ruling, I have got, I'm just going to read straight from this, okay, because I'm not a lawyer. Number one, FERC has been diligently addressing the urgent question of whether the pipeline is needed for the upcoming winter season. Number two, FERC also needs to determine the long-term fate of the pipeline, and it can't move forward until the case is out of the courts. Three, intervention by the Supreme Court now while FERC is already examining these questions, would undercut one of the agency's core responsibilities. Four, the simple fact is that there is no need or justification for the relief that Spire seeks. Five, FERC has already approved the pipeline to operate through December, get this, and is poised to extend an authorization to operate through the winter season. Now that shows how misleading Spire's email was. Right there. I'll read that one again. FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, has already approved the pipeline to operate through December, not just December 13th, and is poised to extend an authorization to operate through the winter season. So, Spire's lying. <coughs> Number six, the EDF said, nor is anyone suggesting anything to the contrary should occur. Seven, Spire's blatant, fear-driven public relations campaign hides the real issue that needs to be resolved. And that is, A, how did we get here? And B, how can we ensure this never happens again? Now, I was reading straight from the EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund's actual article. So, FERC, is, FERC has the ability right now, even though the court said, no, you can't have full authorization, FERC can extend an authorization to operate the pipeline throughout the entire winter season. And EDF was never suggesting that anything to the contrary should occur. EDF never said, let's cut off the pipeline. But Spire is implying that they're inferring that so that, because they know here in Missouri, there are a lot of conservatives that they, they view environmentalists as basically Lucifer, okay? <coughs> so, how did we get to this mess? Here's what happened. Hmm. 
FERC reviews gas pipelines under what's called the Natural Gas Act. This is the law, okay? EDS has nothing to do with it. It is the federal law. There is supposed to be a rigorous review process because these are expensive and enormous infrastructure projects. They operate for decades, and they can impact communities as well as the environment. <clears throat> so it's perfectly reasonable to expect a vigorous assessment. There's nothing wrong with that. FERC requires pipeline developers to demonstrate, I'm reading straight from this, in an application that there is one, market need for a project, and that two, its public benefits outweigh its adverse effects. Again, this is not the EDF. This is the federal law. All the EDF was saying is that FERC should follow the law, and so should SPIRE. Companies can demonstrate market need based on a, they usually demonstrate market need based on a private system of contracting. And that's where two parties negotiate, they say at arm's length for pipeline capacity to ensure a project is one, right-sized to address a legitimate identified need. Again, reading straight from the EDF stuff. But here's where it gets cuckoo. That framework can just fall apart Quote, when the two negotiating parties are, one, affiliated, and two, can saddle captive ratepayers with costs and, in effect, are negotiating with themselves. Okay? So what the EDF was pointing out is that the negotiation system that FERC's been using, and it was exacerbated under the, the epidemic uh, abuses of the Trump administration, it's illegitimate. Their negotiating system is crooked because you have Spire negotiating with themselves. That's, to put it in Midwestern terms, that's hello, Fox, meet Henhouse, bon appetit. That's what's really happening. Now, FERC has been really sloppy about this lately. And their way of looking into, FERC is a habit, according to the EDF, of looking, seeing that there's a contract in existence, um, but it falls short. They're not really looking at an analysis of counterparties, the terms, or surrounding market conditions. And this isn't just with the Spire Pipeline, it's in general. So what EDF is pointing out is that we have a, an assessment system under FERC that is not only insufficient, they're implying it's crooked. <clears throat> and guess who, pays, guess who pays for it? You and me. You and me, baby. And the EDF goes on to say, it's not by coincidence that projects supported by this affiliate-backed model, again, where a lot of times they're negotiating with themselves, it's basically set up. Uh, include Penn East and the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which have both been canceled recently. The EDF has argued for years the model doesn't work, and in June the D.C. Circuit Court agreed. Okay, all EDF was saying is follow the law and improve the law. 
have some real accountability and transparency because at the end, has it ever occurred to anybody that when you complain about these really expensive energy bills, did it ever occur to you that when FERC basically writes a blank check to gas producers like Spire, we're the ones that are going to be pay, paying the jacked up prices? <clears throat> Again, I point to the whole idea. I turn down my furnace to save money, my bill goes higher. That's not legitimate. So EDF is saying they need a more rigorous approach. Okay? Um, and the EDF put forth some recommendations. They said the following. One, FERC could better assess whether existing infrastructure could be used more efficiently. Two, FERC could conduct a more rigorous balancing of benefits and adverse effects. And three, FERC could require more information from the pipeline companies <clears throat> to justify market need. And four, give more weight to the concerns of impacted landowners and communities in the vicinity of the pipeline. And the EDF is saying, the EDF is saying FERC isn't the only agency that needs reform. They're, they're also, the EDF is also demanding there needs to be reform of state public utility commissions to, you know, make sure that there are adequate protections in place to protect against this type of crooked self-dealing. And I agree. A lot of people don't understand when you say, oh, the Public Service Commission should do something about this. Let me tell you something, baby. The Public Service Commission, which is tasked with reviewing and, and seeing if the utilities are operating fairly, is populated by executives from the same utilities they're supposed to be watching. Again, hen, fox, hen out. And EDF points out, right now, there are really no rules governing the, governing the interactions between a newly formed pipeline developer like Spire and an affiliate gas utility during the process when a developer advertises the project and engages in contract negotiations. And so... One, uh, one negative effect because of this, the way things are done, is that on these major infrastructure projects, a lot of times they are proposed and designed really for the benefit of the corporation and their, their big shareholders, not the families or the businesses that the utility is supposed to serve. Now, I got into an argument with an alleged friend the other day, and her attitude was, that's just corporate. That's the way it is. Nothing you can do about it. Like hell, you can do plenty. When they break the law, when they commit criminal acts, they should face criminal charges. Not rocket science, folks. Once again, the Environmental Defense Fund has created a framework that would address this problem. And one of it is a thing that once a gas utility demonstrates need for new capacity, reading straight from this, it should issue, quote, a request for a proposal that involves a full suite of potential solutions that could either provide natural gas supply or reduce demand. Competitive process like this would not only protect against affiliate abuse by two arms of the same, I'm sorry, a competitive process like this would not only protect against affiliate abuse by two arms of the same company, but it would make room for solutions tailored to meet actual energy needs while minimizing cost 
greenhouse gas emissions and adverse impacts on communities. Think about what the EDF saying. They're saying that FERC needs to do their job, they, FERC must be reformed, that these energy producers should not be allowed to make, to basically do this con, where it looks like there's two entities negotiating prices when it's the same company, and it's all a big farce, so they can jack it up to you and me. That's it. At the same time, fossil fuel producers continue to receive enormous taxpayer subsidies for nothing, just because they are fossil fuel producers. I am not kidding. So what EDF's really saying is these utilities should be held transparent and accountable both to regulators and stakeholders. And stakeholders are not the same thing as shareholders. We're talking about the communities. So what to do about Spire? Well, and that's the thing. What are we going to do about the Spire pipeline now? I'm reading straight from the EDF paper. Quote, contrary to company claims, EDF has never suggested that service to Louis customers should be compromised in any way. I'm going to read that again because that shows Spire CEO Suzanne Sitherwood and her, her talk piece, Jason Merrill, to be liars. This is straight from EDF. Quote, contrary to company claims, EDF has never suggested that service to St. Louis customers should be compromised in any way. Quote, but allowing the pipeline to continue to operate without any change in conditions would, in effect, ignore the D.C. Circuit's June ruling. In the past, where FERC has identified self-dealing concerns, it has rejected the agreement or rates outright. Here we offer a reasonable middle ground. Number one, Spire can continue to operate its pipeline through the winter. This came from the Environmental Defense Fund. I'll say it again. This, these are the suggestions coming from the Environmental Defense Fund. One, Spire can continue to operate its pipeline through the winter. Two, subject to tailored conditions that address, among other, uses, other issues, the self-dealing concerns raised by the D.C. court. So they're saying EDF's fine with Spire operating the STL pipeline, but Spire has to obey the law and address the conditions that the D.C. Circuit Court said they had to address. Number four, one important condition proposed by EDF to protect the public interest would alter the rate design by which Spire STL, the pipeline, charges its customer, Spire Missouri, the utility, and ultimately its customers for service. Now that kicker, that Spire, this is the kicker that Spire would have us ignore, how Spire planned on price gouging us. This is what it's really all about, okay? That last thing that EDF exposed, what, I'll read it again, quote, first of all, the self-dealing thing. When they're talking about self-dealing by utility, compare the utility to, say, let's say you're in a poker game. And Spire is the dealer. When they are self-dealing, basically you're dealing with a dirty dealer. So again, EDF said, quote, one important condition 
proposed by the Environmental Defense Fund to protect the public interest would alter the rate design by which Spire STL, the pipeline, charges its customers, Spire Missouri, the utility, and ultimately its customers for service. It goes on, quote, today rates are designed with the assumption that service will be needed every hour of every day for 20 years. Our proposal would tie rates to actual usage of the Spire pipeline to incentivize decreased reliance and to protect ratepayers from the cost of this legally infirm project. What they're saying is this, Spire has to operate honestly. So if I turn down my furnace, I shouldn't be charged more money. But as long as they're able to assume that their rates are designed, that service will be needed every hour of every day, then they're charging for every hour of every day, whether you use it or not. That's what's happening. EDF went on to say, we've also asked FERC to analyze the available unused capacity on a neighboring unaffiliated pipeline. Okay, so it's another pipeline that I'm assuming means fire doesn't own. Okay. As I'm reading again from the EDF paper, nothing else. Quote as, the emails from, quote, as the emails between Spire and MRT show, Spire Missouri inquired about this capacity after the D.C. Circuit decision, but chose not to pursue it, end quote. Yeah, I believe that. Perhaps they decided against this so they could, again, gig the public for the cost of a pipeline we didn't need and to charge us for service, assuming that we we're going to need service every hour of every day. So you're going to be charged that way. That's why you turn your furnace down, your bill goes up. This is what it's about. You can look at the FERC stuff yourself. But notice, KMOV only touched upon this, the 20-year thing. They didn't feel about any of that. I mean, how difficult is Again, it took me less than two minutes to Google EDF Spire. Boom, there it was. And if you're going to be fair and balanced, then shouldn't KMOV had actually talked to the EDF? Instead, our media has been, and our politicians as well, they've been basically taking whatever crap, whatever crap comes out of Spire spokesman's mouth and taking his gospel. And it's not. They're lying. They're lying, and they're playing a game of very dangerous chicken. They know if they have an outage, quote, unquote, oops, that people will be willing to pay anything, period. What Spire is doing, in my opinion, is tantamount to extortion. And if this goes through, if there are outages when there doesn't need to be, not only should Spire's CEO and every executive and their entire board of directors face civil lawsuits, again, they should be forced to give back every penny of those taxpayer subsidies that every fossil fuel producer receives, and then that money should be turned around and granted as vouchers to every household to buy 
electric heat pumps and to pay for the installation and any electrical upgrade they may need because it's Spire's fault. They did the damage. You broke it, you bought it. That's it. Furthermore, every member of Spire's board of directors, every major stockholder, hello, BlackRock, and the Spire CEO and major execs should all face, if this comes to fruition, they should all face criminal charges. Criminal charges of fraud, premeditated fraud. And if anybody dies because of some outages, then they should face felony murder charges with mandatory jail time. That's it. There is no excuse for this. None. This is absolutely mind-boggling. And, you know, I called Roy Blunt's office. That's our U.S. senator. And his spokesperson said, well, he's concerned. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad he's concerned. But that and $3 might give you, get you plain coffee at Starbucks. It's not going to solve problems. And politicians say they're concerned. That's just... That's political talk for they really don't give a crap. You can never get a hold of anybody in Holly's office, and he wouldn't care anyway. I called the governor's office. Again, he doesn't know what to do. I left messages with the Missouri Attorney General, Eric Schmidt, because if this is fraud, it is on, incumbent on his office to criminally investigate. Well, they're not going to do that. The only politician that was interested was my U.S. Congresswoman, Cori Bush. God bless her. No one else. That's it. So those of you in Florida think, well, how does this affect me? Well, you use fossil fuels too. Can you imagine how miserable your lives would be if your fossil fuel company pulled the same crap going into your summer season? That's all. We're not talking about luxuries here. We're talking about man, things that are necessary to survive. And, you know, in a new cycle where we heard in name crap about all sorts of stupid things, this should have been front and center because this can happen to anyone's community. Now, I will let you know that um, besides doing these shows, you can check out my other show, The Environmental Defense Report. Um, we usually air on Thursday evenings around 6 o'clock in the evening. All of our shows can be downloaded, and I urge you to do so, because then you can just listen to it at any time because uh, they're archived. Um, and I have started publishing on BuzzFlash. And um, really wonderful publication, top-notch writers. Um, there will be a, an expose on this that I'm working on now. And um, I'm in communication with Corey Bush's office. So there, there will be an expose. And it probably won't just be one. There may be a series. And I will keep you posted as to when it is published. Um, and then now we're going to move on to my new little feature. Excuse me, folks. This is 
our jackass of the week. This week, we have a tie. We have two jackasses of the week. One is Spire CEO, Suzanne Sitherwood, in her beautiful, enormous palace at 46 Westmoreland Place. Yes, I am doxing her. People can decide to do whatever. You're adults. And uh, just don't do anything violent. The other jackass would be her spokesperson, Jason Merrill. Because that email was not just outrageous and a scare tactic, but it was a pile of lies. There were lies of omission because they left pertinent facts out. But a lie of omission, a half-truth, still a lie. And not only were there lies, they were incredibly stupid lies because, again, took me less than two minutes to find the information. That's it. And then just read it. And I'm not taking just sides with the EDF, with the Environmental Defense Fund. Their lawyers are just that lawyer. What they put on their website is also in official court documents. Do you really think these lawyers are going to risk their licenses and risk jail time by perjuring themselves? I don't think so. Not working for a public, you know, a non-for-profit agency. These are official court documents. And what is wrong with the mainstream media that their reporters are either too cowardly or too lazy to look this information up? They have far more resources than I do, but it didn't happen. So now I would urge all of you, especially in Missouri, to call Spire and raise hell. In fact, honestly, I think that maybe as a community, perhaps we should withhold our payment, our paying our bill to Spire until we can be assured that service will remain on service will remain intact. They are playing chicken with our community. And why? Because they want to be able to bill for every minute of every day for 20 years. That's what that quote was about that KMOV really failed to explain. That's why when I would turn down my thermostat, because I was getting huge bills, and I thought, I'm only running the furnace like at 68 degrees. What's going on? And I would supplement with electric space heaters. And then when I called, I found out, oh, your bill won't go down because of that. And I said, well, what if I turn it off? Oh, you'll still be billed. Why? Because the gas is still turned on. You still have gas service. But I have, I'm not using it then. doesn't matter. That's what Spire wants. They want to be able to bill you for every minute of every day. This is a legal technicality. And so people will keep turning their thermostat down. They will use less and less gas, and Spire will charge them more and more. Anywhere else, in a small business, if you did that, you'd be facing criminal charges, period. Just the stuff. But instead, we are reporting from the Post-Dispatch and KMV and some others saying they, they do, earlier on they did uh, – Oh, pieces about Miss Sitherwood when she first came here and how she, you know, she came from Georgia. She drove her 
beat up old pickup truck, just like regular folk. Regular folk don't live in a palace. And when I looked up where she lived and what she paid for the property, because it was in a trust or something, I don't know, maybe the bank read, you know, maybe the bank took her. She paid one dollar for it, according to Zillow. This is about corporate greed. This is about corporate greed putting our people in mortal jeopardy. Period. And people are all excited. The Build Back Better bill has been approved or will be approved or whatever. The infrastructure bill was approved. But if there isn't sufficient accountability and transparency, we have no way of knowing that the money goes where it's supposed to go. That's it. There needs to be major reform at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Major. And I can guarantee you one of the exposés I write about is going to involve that. That and the Public Service Commission. The Public Service Commission should not be populated by the same execs in in those utilities that they are regulating. Not at all. No more fox guarding the hen house. This nonsense needs to stop. And um, Miss Sitherwood, she can just take her little pickup truck, get back in it, and drive all the way to the coast, and don't stop. Keep driving into the ocean. Okay, you hear that all? That's what I feel about her. So that's our show for tonight. I hope you learned something for it from it. Check out BuzzFlash. Um, check out my profile on Facebook. Uh, I will be putting together a website for myself soon. So um, with that, I say good night and God bless us. <laughs>